Wolf and Luke. We could create a whole world in the mind of the listener simply by using sound effects. Ron Wolfley. Thud, 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 thud. <laughs> Boomerang. Boom. Luke Lipinski. Huh. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. What a game between San Diego State and Florida Atlantic on Saturday. The national championship is set tonight. UConn and San Diego State. And joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line is Dave Pash, of course, the voice of the Cardinals, but also does quite a bit for ESPN. He's covered a lot of college basketball this uh, season, Wolf, so he's a good guy to talk to. Dave, what's going on? Hey, good morning, guys. How we doing? Doing good. good, David. Really appreciate your time this morning, big guy. Um, let me start with this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the tournament overall? Well, first of all, Luke, I'm still waiting for my lunch invitation from Wolf for all this, uh, for all these appearances. Um, that sounds about right. You know, well, I, I was having a conversation with a friend this weekend via text about this. I, I think having all these upsets early on is a great thing for college basketball and for the NCAA tournament. I think, though, as you get to the Final Four, and yes, UConn, I guess in, in some ways, is a blue-chip program because of their multiple national championships, even though that was under Jim Calhoun, and you have uh, Danny Hurley as the head coach. It just feels different. It's still UConn, but it would be like if Syracuse won a championship without Jim Beheim. It's very similar in that respect. It, it doesn't feel like it's the old UConn but it's still a program that has rich tradition. But outside of that, you know, you look at the other three teams that were in the Final Four, it's three teams with, with not a lot of tradition in history in terms of basketball. I think that's good in a way, uh, but also I think it's harder. I mean, just what the ratings were for this past weekend's games and what the ratings will be for tonight's game. But I think upsets are good to a point. Or if we get to a Final Four and there's one Cinderella and three blue-chip programs it gives fans that maybe aren't connected to any of those schools a reason to root particularly for the underdog but when you have three underdogs and you have UConn which doesn't have you know the the names like Ray Allen and some of the guys they've had over the years Kemba Walker I'm just not sure that ultimately it's good for the game. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm ripping college basketball. I'm not. I'm just <laughs> wondering how this ultimately is going to play out in terms of attracting fans. I feel like it's hard enough right now with the one and done and all the transferring for, for fans to get connected to college basketball like they could 20 years ago, and I'm not sure that this is helping either. Yeah. yeah no, I, I completely agree with you on that. You want the upsets early, but you want you want some intrigue in the, uh, in the Final Four for sure. Now, we did get that in the first game on on Saturday, Dave, though, Lamont Butler hitting that buzzer beater to beat Florida Atlantic and send San Diego State to this point. I know UConn's a heavy favorite tonight. It's really tough to pick against them. But do you see any way where San Diego State could just complete this tournament full of upsets and maybe pull this one out tonight? Certainly, it's, it's college basketball. So, like we've seen throughout the tournament and over the years, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, they, they definitely could. Um, I think UConn, it's interesting, just kind of thinking back over the course of the year, there were a lot of people that thought UConn in the middle of the season was the best team in the country. And it's interesting that obviously at the end of the year, in the committee's eyes anyway, they, they didn't feel that way based on the seating. And I understand that. I understand why they were seated where they were. But, you know, you've got great talent. you got a great coach. And, you know, I think they're right now the class of college basketball. 
but it doesn't mean they can't lose in a one-game scenario. That, that's the beauty of tonight and the beauty of the tournament. So, David, if, in fact, San Diego State is going to win this game, how do you see that? What scenario do you see unfolding for them? Well, they've, they've got to do a really good job against Sonogo and the size of UConn inside. It just looked like UConn was taking advantage of uh, that in, in the game on Saturday and throughout this tournament. And so I think for San Diego State to have a shot, they got to they got to somehow win the paint and, and win that matchup. Uh, you know, sticking with what you said earlier, and this is Dave Pash, of course, joining us on the Arizona Sports Line. If UConn wins, that that is, you know, it's a blue blood program at this point. They already kind of are, but that's another national championship. You know, you're not Duke or North Carolina at that point, but this is it's really raising their profile, even though it's already pretty high. Well, as a Syracuse alum, it's still very hard to root for UConn. But as a fan of Bobby Hurley and the Hurley family, I, I, I find myself uh, connected to Connecticut and and hoping for good things for them. But, you know, I, I think of what San Diego State has become. And, you know, Steve Fisher deserves a ton of credit for what he did. I think when, you know, if you guys remember Michigan in 89, uh, you know, he wins the championship. He leaves uh, shortly thereafter, obviously, with, uh, you know, the Fab Five and everything and, and ends up at San Diego State. I think a lot of people thought, well, you know, you won at Michigan with guys like Glenn Rice and Ramil Robinson and Chris Weber and Jalen Rose and Jawan Howard. Um, it, it was all the players that had nothing to do with the coach or program building. And then you look at what he did at San Diego State and player development and Kawhi Leonard being obviously uh, probably the biggest name to come out of there. But you, you go back to the COVID year, they, they had a team that a lot of people thought could win the whole thing. And then obviously the tournament got canceled, but I think Steve Fisher deserves a ton of credit for what he's done with that program. And it's, you know, why I think there's a good chance they're going to end up in the PAC 12 or another major conference. David, let's switch gears, if you don't mind, and talk a little bit about the NBA. Um, talk to me about the Phoenix Suns and what you're seeing with Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns. Well, of the six games now that he's played in, right, I think it's six, I, I, I've done two, uh, including past this past Wednesday. So I feel like I've had kind of an up-close personal view to it and also talking with people around the team about it. And it's kind of what I thought. I mean, he, he, he has elevated the team to a point where you have to consider them a championship contender. It will be interesting um, on a couple levels what happens this final week of the season you know, once they clinch home court, you know, do they rest guys? Um, are they concerned about their opponent? And are they more concerned about making sure they're in a groove with KD or does it really matter? And the other side of that is what are teams like the Warriors and the Lakers going to do? Uh, and the Clippers, you want to avoid the play-in, but would you rather finish sixth <laughs> than finishing fifth and having to see the Suns? I think a lot of people would probably rather see Sacramento. How do they handle that? Andrew Wiggins may be coming back. Yeah, they want to re-implement him uh, so that uh, you know they're back to kind of that form that they had in the playoffs last year, and he was such a big part of that championship. What does that mean for you know Steve Kerr in terms of how he plays? I mean, a lot of those teams they have to play their guys and win to avoid the play-in. But I'm sure deep down they would love to manipulate it so that they don't have to face Phoenix in the first round. You may not be able to have both. Yeah, and maybe that's the the ultimate benefit of the of the play-in to a guy like Adam Silver. Dave Pash, great stuff as always, man. Thank you for the time. I'll Thank make sure you, Wolf gets you that lunch. <laughs> it ain't happening, Luke, but it's okay. No, My pleasure. Good talking. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Love yeah. you. 
bro. Thank you. Appreciate it, David. It's Dave Pass joining us right there on the uh, Arizona Sports Line. And, uh, yeah, we'll get back into that conversation he brought up there at the end in just a little bit. Uh, win lower-level tickets for this Thursday's D-backs home opener against the Dodgers. Just text BASEBALL to 620-620 for complete details and your chance to win. That's BASEBALL to 620-620. And speaking of baseball, just how long is that leash on Madison Bumgarner if he continues to struggle? That's next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. San Francisco, back when Madison Bumgarner was Madison Bumgarner. So, Wolf, we said earlier in the show, it's not all great news for the D-backs over the uh, the weekend, right? You get a split against the Dodgers, that's fantastic. Considering, sure. you know, it's the start of the season, you you figure the D-backs are a team that's only going to get better, in theory, as the season goes on. And you got to play the Dodgers in your first ten games. You'd like to get, you'd like to split those, those first eight games against them if you could. Plus San Diego tonight and tomorrow. Uh, but the downside is, yes, they only scored seven runs in the four games. The real concern is Madison Bumgarner wasn't good again. And he has not been consistently good since he joined the Diamondbacks. And now there's a little bit of a different lens to look at this through, I think. What if this team really is at a level where they can contend for a wild card spot? And we get into August and September and they're right there. Madison Bumgarner's got to turn it around. Or they can't lean on him. Yeah, no, you know, honestly, I was very, very interested to see how Mad Bum's season was going to go because he's had, I think we'd all agree, uh, some really down seasons for Madison Bumgarner since he's been a Diamondback, really, when you stop and think about it. And at some point in time, especially when you're, what, 33? He's 33, correct? I think he's 33 years old right now, and that sounds about right. But when you're at this point, right, now, you still can be very, very productive as a pitcher because you just know how to pitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maloney just pointed out, he turns 34 in August. He's one year older than Garrett Cole, who a lot of people believe is the best pitcher in baseball right now. So to your point, he could still be productive. The age is, And, and, you know, a year ago, when he also wasn't that productive, he was the same age Garrett Cole is now. You know, we've also seen pitchers, once again, Zach Greinke is a perfect example of a guy that, you know, hey, listen, um, just because you have a down season or have a couple of down seasons doesn't mean you can't suddenly fire it up. You know how to pitch. You know how to do it. It's such a mental game, the game that, you know, to me, I I think Mad Bum, I was hoping, was going to come out and do something really different and just pitch differently and um, just maybe be in the best shape he's ever been in in his life because of the last couple of seasons in saying to himself, hey, listen, I, I maybe this would get his attention, and I was hoping that was going to be the case. After his first start of the season, it did not look like that was going to be the case, especially right from the very first inning where he gave up a big crooked number. Yeah, a couple things with this, and, and just to go back to the age thing one more time, he's younger than Merrill Kelly. 
You yeah, know? and you can you, you feel like <laughs> you Merrill go. Kelly's gonna be pretty good. I know Merrill Kelly had a short outing the other day, but Merrill Kelly's been pretty good for the D backs. And I think people look at, at the two and they're like, oh yeah, Merrill was he ten years younger than Madison Bumgarner? No, he's older, and, and he's still pitching fine. I, I don't want to read too much into one game against the Dodgers. So I'm not saying like, oh, you got to be done with Madison Bumgarner. I'm not saying that. But I do think the conversation is a lot different now than it was two years ago. And, and you know, to your point, his uh, his ERA now in, in each of his seasons with the D-backs, I'm just using ERA, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it's a pretty important stat. Yes, it is. It means more to me than win-loss for a pitcher. ERA means a lot more. That first year, it was 2020 messed up season. He only made nine starts. 6.48 ERA, though. But in 2021, 4.67. In 2022, 4.88. And so far this year, 11.25. And you and I were talking before the show. He's had some really good starts in there. But the problem is, when he's off, yeah. there's nothing anybody else can do to bring the team back because he's so off. Yes. He, he can't seem to avoid that big, crooked inning. He, he can't. Uh, he's allowed many crooked innings since he's been here. And... Nothing looks more crooked than a five spot when you think about a crooked number it's right there. Great, yeah. Think about a five spot. I know six is worse base and earnings. I know seven is worse eight. I get that. But a five, that... Yeah, at least the eight is symmetrical <laughs> as you lose. You're like, oh, exactly it looks nice. right. The snowman, it has a little symmetry to it where a five is just ugly crooked. Five. When you see it up on a board and... You know, what Tori Lovello actually said after that start, too, was a little disconcerting. Yeah, here he is. There's nothing major, you know, when major from, from his standpoint. It was more just you know, us asking questions, us trying to find out if everything's okay. Um, you know, there was looseness to the breaking ball, and, and things just weren't, weren't consistent. He's always around the zone, but there were some big misses today. So we just... Red flags go up and we see that. Our eyes tell us a story, but Bum was okay. He, he actually offered to go back out there for the fifth inning. Uh, he knew the pen could probably be overworked a little bit. And, and I told him, no, I was enough. We'll, we'll figure it out. The official term that came out over the weekend was mm. arm fatigue. Yeah. This is the first start of the season, though. Yeah. So that's not ideal. No, that isn't ideal right there. He pitched four innings, um, gave up four hits, four walks, and five earned runs. You know, for me, I was really kind of encouraged that he settled down after that first inning. Well, you give up a five spot. The reason why I say that, brothers, is because can you imagine that? You're Mad Bum. You're Madison Bumgardner for the crying out loud. And here you go. You haven't pitched great as an Arizona Diamondback, as Luke already pointed out, with the ERA. Especially over the last two seasons. That first year, you know. You kind of tossed that one out. If, if he was good out. in the second and third years, he would have been like, yeah, that was a weird year. Exactly right. The, the last two, really, he, he's been pretty consistent, and that consistency hasn't been good for the most part. He has had some good outings. He had the seven-inning no-hitter. But yes. Yeah. Overall, it hasn't been great for Mad Bum. Certainly not what the Arizona Diamondbacks expected. No, and... and- you know, now there's more on the line. Again, that I keep coming back to that conversation. You just need a guy to eat innings as you play out the string in August and September. I mean, that's not why you traded for him, and that's not why you're paying him what you're paying him. But, you know, two years ago, it was like, all right, well, <laughs> we're just trying to get to the end of the season anyway and develop some of these players. But now, I think 
I don't think I'm the only one that has this expectation. I, I know they have the expectation that they plan on contending for a playoff spot. Now, whether they get there or not, yeah. the plan is to contend, and it's it's not an absurd idea. This is not this is wouldn't be the D backs two years ago being like, yeah, we think we can win the World Series. Well, no, you couldn't. But if you're telling me in 2023 that Diamondbacks can contend for one of those two wild card spots, yeah, they absolutely should believe that. And so that leads into the question: If Madison Bumgarner goes out there again and has another terrible outing. And then he goes out there again and has another one. Brandon Fott looms, does he not? Yeah. And I'm sure Dre Jameson would like a claim to that. And and those guys are unproven, but I'm just saying I think it's more of a question this time around. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not saying you're wrong, Luke. Uh, I'm not. I think the money and the respect they have for Mad Bum, I think that also will come into play right now. This is a little disconcerting what is happening right now. He settled down, of course, and put up some zeros after that five spot in the first inning. But to, to hear arm fatigue in your first start... It just, it does not sound good. And when Tori used red flags go up, when we see that, where the breaking ball was a little loose, um, that does not portend a good outing. It's not great. Good finish when it comes to Mad Bomb. Well, and now you're at a bit of a crossroads already, because if he is good to go and he makes his next start, well, that's against the Dodgers again. Now it might be Thursday, it might be Friday, it might be Saturday. They, you know, they could they could push it back a day or whatever. It doesn't matter. They play the Dodgers for four more this weekend. So if he makes his next scheduled start, it's against the Dodgers. That's a tough team to get right against if you're a pitcher. If he doesn't make his next scheduled start, then people are going to start asking why he's not making his next scheduled start. Yeah. So he's going to probably have to pitch his way out of this against one of the most potent lineups in baseball. Yeah, that doesn't bode well. No. Right now. That would be the downside to the weekend. That was a bummer. Yeah, a mad bummer. All right, text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. And we come back. It was the Suns' goal at the start of the season to get right at just the right time. And they are actually doing that now. We'll get into it next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke. Suns run to the playoffs coverage. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 6.25% on your retirement savings. All right, well, it was it was the goal at the start of the season. Nice change right there. Wolf, um, for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, this makes you want air guitar, it does so- it not? It sounds like you're playing the guitar over there while I talk. Yeah. It was the goal at the start of the season. If you're if you're the Suns, you you had this great regular season last year. You win 64 games, and then at the last second, Golden State decides, oh, the playoffs are coming up. We'll just peak at the right time and win another title, and you'll be gone in the second round. And that's what happened. So the Suns, it's not hard to make the connection, but they obviously did make that connection going into the season. We heard it from some of the players, and we heard it from, you know, to a certain extent, even Monty Williams, of we need to make sure we're peaking at the right time this year. The regular season, as Chris Paul said, uh, in October... Doesn't really mean all that much, other than like you got to get in, you got to be, but your your record doesn't mean all that much once the playoffs start. Well, I don't know that anybody could have foreseen this exact path to get to this point, but here we are. They've won five in a row. They're six and zero with KD. They are peaking at the right time. 
Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you right now. They, they are peaking at the right time. And Kevin Durant in the lineup, um, I just love the way he's moving. I, I said this when he was coming back. Um, I was more interested in how he moved as as opposed to how many points he was going to score. I just it was I was so fascinated with how concerned I was. <laughs> <laughs> you were was fascinated be, by yourself. Yes, <laughs> because it was it was dominating my every thought. You know this I know because you we said talked it. about yeah. it. It was dominating everything. I'd never seen a man roll his ankle the way he rolled his ankle. Can I just say that? I, I I've never seen it in warm ups where a man just bumped like he was trying to land on the outside of his ankle. He and of course he wasn't. I know that. I've just never seen the ankle roll that easy without stepping on something. Well, let me ask you this then. If you are so concerned with how he moves more so even than points, what would you think of that block on SGA? Uh, yeah, Because no, that's no, a guy moving pretty great. quickly. I, I guess what I'm saying, when he first came back and he made his debut, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. I was fascinated to see him. Now it's just how is he developing, and now he is developing on both ends of the floor. You can see his impact on everybody else around him. It's not just it's not KD that looks like he's fitting in. It looks like everyone else is fitting around him yeah but i would like to talk about that block because that was pretty absurd you don't you don't get back there and make that play it's not the same stage but was that not reminiscent of lebron in the finals that year when cleveland did beat golden state and he ran all the way back across the court to block that shot i mean and that's sga that's a guy who's putting up 30 plus points every single night uh monty williams talked about after the game yes the wins are important but the solid play and doing that consistently is just as important right now. You know, I like the wins. We always talk about that. We're grateful for every win that we get. But I'm more concerned with the wins and how we play. Uh, we had a two-for-one situation at the end of the third. That was not. That's not what we do. We usually usually execute those uh, well. Um, and then they trap book a couple of times, and we didn't get to our spots quick enough um, the way that we need to. So. I love the wins, and we got to keep winning um, just based on where we are at the same time. I want to be able to win and stack solid as best as we can. That's something we've talked about all year, just continuing to stack solid so that we can get a rhythm. And I think if we do that um, and the guys get used to playing with one another, I think we're going to be in, in, in good shape. Yeah, I would agree with that right there. Um, you know, one of the things I loved about the game, and I know you want to talk about SGA. I know you want to talk about no, we've wh- talked about it. what Kevin Durant did. I, I know that. So now I want to talk about what Monty just said. I, for me, I, I love the fact the Suns were in control of this game from the second quarter on. And if you watched it, Basin Orleans, you know that, right? You, you could feel it. Um, yeah, they didn't put the Thunder away until they put them away at the end of the game. I understand that. But they were the better team, Luke, and you could see it. They were the better team, and of that, there was no doubt. So they proved it. Every time the Thunder got close, every time they closed the gap to four or five points, it seemed like the Sun said, okay, I get it, we're playing for keeps, and suddenly hit the gas, lowered the plow, and hit the gas. 
and suddenly it was back to double digits, a double-digit lead. It feels like it they just, have a gear they can hit. Yes. If it gets if it gets too close, it feels like they have another gear they can hit, and that's not imaginary because they have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Most teams don't have that. What I like about the playoffs, Wolf, is if for some reason they take too long to hit that gear in a game. Let's say that was a playoff game yesterday. Oh, they're up by 15, and all of a sudden, oh, it's getting a little bit close, and then somebody hits a buzzer beater on them, and they lose. It's a best of seven. This isn't March Madness. It's not a best of one. Now, there are ways you can make your path easier by not letting teams back into games, but yeah. it's the NBA in 2023. Teams can make up an eight-point deficit, nine-point deficit in two minutes. It happens pretty frequently throughout the league. But to your point, it feels like they're in control of these games, even though they're not blowing teams out. Yeah, no. Um, yes, that, that, it's kind of like the yo-yo effect, Masonians, right? You've got a yo-yo, and you, have you ever seen somebody with a yo-yo? The domination is, is unbelievable. Talk about master of puppets. That's exactly what it is. It, it feels like... I never got the yo-yo. What do you mean? Like you can get, I can get it to go like... To pull back like twice. You're not good at a yo-yo. I mean, I've done it maybe five total minutes of my life. I I suck buttermilk, too, at it. The people that can go like sideways and make a triangle. Look at me, everybody. You know, they love to do it on a bus, too. Have you noticed this? I don't know. I'll look closer next time. Yeah, just look closer. There's some dude sitting there going, okay. Anyways, um, I don't know why you brought that up. Aaron's like, I'm going back to Hawaii. That sidetracked me a little bit. But it just seemed like the master of puppets, indeed. The Suns um, seem to be in control, especially with Kevin Durant now in the lineup. Six games, six and zero oh, with Kevin Durant in the lineup, starting of course, and they look really, really good in control of what they're doing. And it's not just on the offensive end; it is the defensive end as well. You talked about the SGA block. You talked about that, Kevin Durant. Shutting down SGA, slapping it. it was one of the greatest plays. I've, I mean, honestly, it takes him like me, four steps to go like three point line to three point line. KD, what? Can I just say this right now? I know Basinonians. Uh, maybe we're not supposed to talk about KD and the SGA play. Are we not supposed to talk about it here? Okay, good because I'm talking about it right now. What? What does that kind of defense from Kevin Durant say to everyone else on the floor? What does that say, brothers? What does that effort say to every son that is out there? He he set the tone and the standard for everyone else. If KD can go out there and score 35, shooting 62% uh, 62 from the floor, and play defense the way he does, what is your excuse? What is it? It just, you know, it brought back so many great memories, my brothers, of when I played with great football players, guys that were great at what they did, and everyone knew how great they were and the impact that it would have on everyone else when you'd watch them give everything they had on the field, on every play. What's, What's your excuse Ron, you have no talent whatsoever. You have one talent. You you can take a lot of damage, and you you give a lot of damage. That's your talent right there. That was all I had. And yet these guys with all of this talent, when you would see them go out and play, 
the way that they did. Isn't that right, LT? Lawrence Taylor. Isn't it right, Mike Singletary? To see these guys play with everything they had, Kevin Mack. You know, it, it, it tested you as a man. And Katie's impact on this team, you can see it. He makes a play like that, Luke, and I'm telling you right now, you have no excuse, even if you're Devin Booker. No, if he's going to put up 35, and then even if he had five points and made that play, we'd be talking about it today. And Book doesn't need that. Uh, what kind of great news. haul could the Cardinals get if they trade it all the way down to number 11? Are you even willing to do that? It is Monty Austinfort's former team that might be making that trade. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. The NFL Draft. News on number three. Draft coverage. Live, local, late breaking. We're just over three weeks away from the NFL draft. I continue to thank the Chicago Bears for making that trade that they made as early as they did. And I'm sure they're happy with the haul they got back. They got quite a bit back. Um, For the Cardinals now, Wolf, you're sitting at three. I know know that you have said pretty consistently the ideal situation for you, and I, I think everybody agrees, is trade down to four. You get something from the Colts, plus you get to still draft Will Anderson. Do. As we were wrapping up the show on Friday, we briefly got into the idea that maybe Tennessee might be a team that wants to move up. Here's Daniel Jeremiah and uh, and Bucky Brooks on the Move the Sticks podcast. Does Arizona make that pick? They're, all, they're open for business. Somebody jumps up there and they make a pick. It's not it's not going to be the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I'll I don't think so, so either. I'll be shocked if the Arizona Cardinals take a player at the third position. Can I give you the team that I've been told to, to keep an eye on that's exploring this and looking into this again this is just people around the league who said do not sleep on numero 11 the tennessee titans the two teams to keep an eye on where the trade-ups were the raiders and the titans don't sleep on and then we talked about the raiders a bunch we've talked about maybe seattle at five um i don't i haven't heard a lot of buzz about tennessee at 11 that would be an interesting one Yeah, that would be very, very interesting, too, because once again, you have to go to the trade value chart that Jimmy Johnson was the inventor of, right? The trade value chart. And you look at it, it's just a bunch of numbers, ladies and gentlemen, but it's a bunch of numbers from pick number one in the first round all the way through to the very end of the draft when you stop and think about it. That third pick is worth 2,200 points on the trade value chart that Jimmy Johnson um, came up with. 2,200 points. Number 11 is worth 1,250. Let's just say it's 1,200. So there's really a 1,000 points difference in that right now. So a 1,000 points difference, man, that's... You better, you better, by way of example, if you had two 500-point um, picks... To trade for that a thousand points, that would actually be Tennessee's second round pick is worth four ninety. Forty pick number forty. Oh yeah, because there's no pick yeah. number forty Thanks would be five hundred yeah. right there. So well, but Tennessee picks forty first. I know, I know, I know that it's a lot of numbers, but still, what it comes back to always is the value, and you'd get a haul, you'd get an absolute haul for that eleventh pick. 
but you wouldn't get Will Anderson. No, you wouldn't, and you'd be getting picks in next year's draft, too, certainly. And again, for the reference point, like you said, <laughs> this is why it gets complicated. Pick number 40 would be worth 500 points. you got to find a team that picks there, though, too, right? Like, if, if you're trading yeah. with Tennessee at 11, but they don't pick till 73, again, it doesn't matter. They don't have the 40th pick to trade you. They do pick 41st, which is another 490, but that's... And not only that, though, they could say, well, we'll give you a first-round pick next year. That's, yeah. Or we'll give you a high second-round pick. Especially with a quarterback involved. I mean, the the the, the point value is useful, and it, it, uh, pretty much every team leans on this quite a bit as a reference point. But it's not totally literal. Otherwise, you would uh, you would trade the third pick, Wolf, for 2,200 seventh-round picks. I mean, that's that's the yeah. same value. Like, when yes. a quarterback comes into, into play... And if I'm the Cardinals and I'm looking at Tennessee and I'm like, you identified Anthony Richardson as your guy and you have no chance of getting him at 11. I'm asking for a little bit more than 2,200 points worth. Yes. Whatever that is. Yes. Maybe that's a player as a bone, whatever it is. Yep. That's, and that's what happens, of course, right now. I, I still, I am so sorry. I am greedy on this one right here. I want Will Anderson. Anybody that has listened to this show, you know I want Will Anderson. And I want the Colts to come get him <laughs> at number three. Because you'll get Will Anderson at number four. Will Anderson Jr., Edge, Alabama. Will Anderson, a beast, a monster, a machine. That's how the edge rusher was described while at Alabama. The two-time All-American finished his college career with 34 and a half sacks, 62 tackles for loss, and more than 200 quarterback pressures over three seasons. He is widely considered the best defensive player in this year's draft. Anderson makes game-changing plays in the run game and as a pass rusher and with an intensity that will make Wolf proud. Scouts would like to see a more consistent motor all the way through the play, but they believe his athleticism and his will could lead to a Pro Bowl career. NFL comp, soon to be Hall of Famer, DeMarcus Ware. What about what they said in that that cut that we played from the Move the Sticks podcast? I think that was Bucky Brooks that said there's no way the Cardinals are making a pick at three. I'm kind of starting to believe that. Yes. More and more. No, I, I am totally with Bucky Brooks on that. And the reason why I say that, Basin Onions, is because the Colts must trade. The Colts want themselves a quarterback. You're not worried about Lamar at all with the Colts? No. Okay. No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah, right. Now, again, if it happens, it happens, okay? I've been wrong before, okay? It's not going to be the first time, and I'll promise you it won't be the last, Pacinonians. I've been wrong before. But to me, I think the Colts, the Lamar Jackson question, there's just way too much there. I think the Colts want to move up to number three. I, I think if I were the Indianapolis Colts, I'd want the Arizona Cardinals to know, oh, yeah. You don't think we're looking at Lamar Jackson? <laughs> it's Lamar Jackson. You better believe we're looking at him, Monty Austin Ford. What do you think? We're nuts? We're just gonna we're gonna depend on you giving us a deal? Moving up one spot, you're gonna rake us over the goals? No. We'll take Lamar. You want you want the Arizona Cardinals to think you've got options. Well, I um and maybe this isn't good for the Cardinals, we'll see, but 
I don't understand why teams don't want Lamar Jackson more than an unproven rookie. Now, we've talked about this. You know, there's, yes, there's more to it right. than just, okay, I could have Lamar. There's, there's a lot more to it. But Kurt Warner was on with Bickley and Murata this morning, and this made me feel like I'm at least not losing my mind. He said, yeah, but I'd rather have Lamar. I think the bottom line comes down to, you know, what you're willing to give up for a guy like Lamar. Um, you know, assuming that it would take two number one picks, uh, and then obviously uh, a huge deal on top of that. Uh, whether that's a fully guaranteed deal or, or, or just a big deal overall. Um, and, and I think that's always the sticking point. But, you know, if, if Indy has to, to go up, move up, and uh, get a young guy, then you're sitting there going, okay, what's that going to cost you? Is that going to cost you a couple number one picks? And, heck, I, I'd definitely rather have Lamar Jackson than any of the unknowns, uh, you know. And, and even if, you, you know, you base it off what you know in college of these college quarterbacks, I'd still take Lamar Jackson. Would you rather have a known commodity that's been an M- MVP in the National Football League over any rookie quarterback? Of course you would. It's just, um, you know, just, I think there's still just a lot of unknowns. Um, but I am you know, really surprised that there hasn't been more teams that have just explored and talked to them more based on what we've heard just to go, all right, just talk to us. Tell us what you're looking for. Tell us exactly what that number is um, instead of just kind of staying away based on all the speculation. Yeah, see, and there it is right there. It it comes back to that. First of all, to move up to number three, you're not going to have to give up two number ones. You're not going to have to. Well, Tennessee might. If if Tennessee wanted to move up from 11, don't um, I get their number one this year? And I would certainly be asking for their number one next year. Okay. Uh, You might be able to finagle that. You might be able to do that. But I'm saying Indianapolis moving up with the Arizona Cardinals. They'd have to give up a second round pick probably somewhere in that vicinity right there. Maybe even a little bit more change. Um, If the Arizona Cardinals want to rake them over the coals, metaphorically speaking. But, you know, for me right now, again, Lamar Jackson is... um, there's a reason why Lamar Jackson is still a question mark as to where he's going to play. What is that? Ask yourself that. Why is he still out there? There's a reason. I still think he's on a different team next year. So that's that's a huge domino that's going to fall around draft night. Should or be I guess a slam some dunk. Point. Why isn't it? Uh, well, yeah. Then there's definitely – there absolutely should be no – like Will Levis or Lamar Jackson – what do you talk? To me, that's the same as well. I don't know if I want to give up a third rounder for DeAndre Hopkins. I'd rather just sit here and draft a guy that might not play for me and, and throw away a chance at the Super Bowl. There's obviously more to it than Luke, that. Luke, the pendulum is swinging back to the middle. But that, that's what the problem is. But Lamar's Lamar. not going to just be out of the league. It's not swinging no. back that far. No. Uh, coming up next, we'll take you through the Two top stories ones, Luke. of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.